Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Before we get into the message today, I just want to take a minute and pray just that uh, God would center our hearts on him. Jesus, we thank you for your word that reveals to us the truth about life. We thank you for your word, God, that you give us so that that we can know the way to go, uh, that we can know the way of Jesus. And so I pray that as we look at your word today, as we uh, look at what it means to be with our community, that you'd be very present in working in our hearts, um, that you would just uh, expose the areas that need to be exposed, um, that you'd encourage us in the areas we need to be encouraged, but ultimately we just hold our lives up to you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are going to talk about being with our community today, and fitting, after talking about community meals, I wanted to talk a little bit about tables. Who in here has a table in their house? All right. So what, 40%? (laughs) What a... 50%. Wow, I was thinking it would be closer to 100, but... But yeah, you know, we, we have tables in our, in our houses that we sit around and gather around. And actually, my favorite piece of furniture in our house is our coffee table. It hangs out in our living room, and it's gigantic. If you've ever been to our house, we have the biggest coffee table on the block, and I'm bragging. Um, but the reason why we have a big coffee table is when we first moved to, well, it wasn't when we first moved, but uh, a couple of years after living in Whatcom County, we were looking for a place to live, and through a friend, we got a rental with this house with just this massive living room, like bigger than we've ever had then or since. And we didn't really know what to do with a massive living room. We didn't have a lot of furniture. And so uh, one of the things I did is I went to this, uh, I looked on Craigslist and I found um, this coffee table for sale that was, that like took up a bunch of space in like the lobby of a local business. And I thought, well, this is great. We can just have this big coffee table. And so we did, and it looked great in the big space, but then we moved to a much smaller space. <laughs> and we were like, okay, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna keep this coffee table? Uh, or like, should we get rid of it? And uh, we, we kept it, and our kids kept knocking into the sides of it. And we just thought, they'll learn, you know, they'll learn. Um, we're not gonna put any bumpers on the side. They'll figure this thing out. Um, but it, it was a beast, and um, but it fit great. And, you know, I just we loved it. I love this coffee table, and uh, we we moved again, and, and we're in a kind of a narrow living room now. But I want to show you a picture of my coffee table um, because I am so proud of it. See right there in the center, like it's it's pretty big. Yeah, so thanks. <laughs> And it's clean. Our house always looks this clean. (laughs) I have three kids, and it always looks that clean. So, um, yeah. If, if, if Bonnie got her way, it would always look that clean, and someday she will, when, we, when our kids are out of the house. Um, but we love this coffee table, and why do we love the coffee table? Because the table just represents life, like life happens around the table. Um, we share life around the table. We, we uh, have friends over, we have coffee around the table. Um, we've counseled couples around the table, some of whom actually stuck around and became our friends. I'm not gonna name any names. Um, but like Johnny and Lyric. Um, 
premarital counseling, yeah. Um, but we just, community is made at the table. Like you gather around, you eat together, you pray together, our small group gathers around, and you see this mega couch. Um, Bonnie actually modified this couch. We worked together and sawed it in half and put it together to fit our weird living room. And, um, but, but we have just community happens around this table. And life happens around this table. We celebrate life at the table. We play games at the table. Um, we worship around the table. We have friends come over and we, we worship together. Um, we pray for each other around the table. Late at night, Bonnie and I pray together, you know, for whatever's going on, for each other, for our kids, for our community. And that's why we love our table. Uh, years ago, there was a pastor who told me that he saw his kitchen table as a seminary for his kids. Like he wanted his kitchen table to be the place where his kids encountered Jesus, where they grew up in the faith, where they read scripture, where they became disciples. And I think that's such a great vision. And, and how many of would you say that you'd love that for your kids, that, that your table would be a place where people, your kids meet God? And so as we consider being with people this morning, I want you to think about this. Who have you welcomed to sit at your table? Who have you welcomed to sit around your table? You know, who have you invited to share life with you, to celebrate life with you, to find life by being together, by making community there at the table? And how have they been changed by being at your table? And this morning, as we answer these questions, we're going to look at a table that Jesus sat around. We're going to see who Jesus welcomes to his table and what that means for us as his followers. And we'll see that the people that Jesus sat across from at his table were not people that the religious leaders and elite of the day accepted or wanted to be around. They, it, it offended the sensibilities of people who thought that they were righteous. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke 5, 27 this morning, and it'll be on the screen as well. But it says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled as his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. <coughs> So we're gonna start this morning by looking at Jesus and this guy named Levi. Um, as you might know, tax collectors were looked down on in Jewish society. They were, they were maligned, they were outcasts, social outcasts in Jewish society. Um, I think it's interesting that Levi uh, is also called Matthew. You remember Matthew wrote the book of Matthew, um, but they're the same person. And s some people think that Jesus actually renamed Levi Matthew. And I think it's really interesting because the name Matthew actually means a gift of God. And how cool would it be to be someone who was once considered a social outcast, and then Jesus comes along and renames him a gift of God. Because I doubt at all that Levi saw himself as a gift. 
I doubt very much that Levi saw himself as a gift. He probably saw himself more like a parasite. Um, because that's essentially how tax collectors were viewed at the time. They were despised. The reason why tax collectors were despised is because um, they had made the decision to cozy up with the Roman government who was hated just for the sake of gaining wealth. Um, tax collectors, um, and the Jews were upset because the tax collectors were fellow Jews, and instead of working to collect money for the local uh, temple and the local works, they were instead collecting money and sending it to the powers that be that were oppressing the people. And at that time, it wasn't an intricate tax system like we have now. Um, it ran more like the mob. So uh, Rome gets their cut, and I get whatever else I can get um, on top of that. So there was a lot of extortion, um, and they collected what they needed, and they kept the extra. They were viewed as thieves, like the, the Talmud, which was the Jewish code book, actually called them robbers. So they were like an ancient, and I mean, I guess this is more ancient, but it's like the Sheriff of Nottingham from the Robin Hood movies, right? They're going around stealing from people, giving to an oppressive overlord. And it's likely that Levi ran a tax booth on the major highway that ran through this coastal town of Capernaum. Um, Levi was charged, basically charged duty, sat as his booth and charged people duty as they passed with their fish or whatever they were transporting back and forth. So he had a steady stream of income uh, coming in and he didn't have to chase people for it. Like it's a pretty sweet gig. He just got to sit at a booth all day and take whatever money he needed. Um, but he was also, that, that booth was a symbol of shame. You know, to sit at that booth and to take money, and it was just the symbol of easy money, this easy, so-called easy life that Levi had chosen. And so I wonder what Levi felt like as people passed by him day after day. I wonder what looks Levi got as, as he sat there at his booth, kind of sat in his shame. I wonder if he felt despised and saw the disgust on people's faces. You know, even though Levi was wealthy, he probably felt like scum sitting in that tax booth. And the only community that he had were those who experienced a similar shame. It was the only the tax collectors and other people, was, was the only people that would accept Levi, people that were in the gig as well. They were the only people who would welcome Levi to their table. And I think there's something in us, all of us, that cries out for acceptance. And sometimes we cry out for acceptance wherever we can find it. Uh, we all want to be welcomed to a table. We don't want to be a project. We want to be included as a friend and an equal. And people will go through great lengths to find that acceptance. Um, that's why people join violent gangs, youth join violent gangs, because there's something in their soul that cries out for acceptance and validation from others. So it's sitting in this tax booth, uh, Levi encounters Jesus, and Jesus comes with an invitation, an invitation to follow him. Levi had probably heard Jesus teach as he sat in his tax booth. It was a stone's throw away from the seashore where Jesus would teach, and Jesus at that time had been healing people. He had just healed a paralytic man, um, the, the one who was lowered down through the roof of a house. So there's all this hubbub around the community, around Capernaum, of this Jesus who heals and who teaches these profound things. 
You know, and, and, and so you could imagine as people stopped at his booth, they couldn't stop talking about this Jesus. And so there was something in him that was just curious about what was going on. And so when Jesus shows up, he simply says to Levi, follow me. Follow me, that's it. He looks into Levi's eyes and he calls them to a new life. He meets him with acceptance. He meets him there. And Matthew jumps. Matthew jumps. He leaves everything. It it makes a point here in Luke to say that he leaves everything to follow him. He got up from his tax booth and left it. You know, one commentator noted that that was basically a death sentence for his career. Like when Jesus called fishermen, they could always come back to the family trade. If you up and left a tax booth that was full of federal money and just left your post, you're never going back. Like you're permanently blacklisted. So in essence, Levi Levi walked away from everything he had put his security in, his future, all of it into Jesus. And so out of all the disciples, Levi's actually the one that walked away from the most wealth. And as we consider who Jesus calls us to be with, uh, this is the first thing we got to know. We got to know that Jesus offers life to every outcast. That Jesus offers life to every outcast. Jesus says to everyone, even those who we count out, follow me, repent. Turn from whatever you're doing and find life in following me. And before we decide who the outcast is, we have to recognize that we're all outcasts. We're all cast out from the presence of God, needing a savior, needing someone to reconnect us with God. It's pretty clear in scripture that we're all sinners in need of a savior. And I quoted this before, but I like it. It says, sharing the good news of Jesus is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. That's it. And so if Jesus is for every outcast, shouldn't we be too? Shouldn't we be too? If we're all outcasts that Jesus wants to take in, is there anyone that we're allowed to think less of or write off? Because if you believe in Jesus, you, he, you hold the keys of life for everyone. What are you doing with it? As soon as Levi realized that he had the keys to life, he threw a big party for Jesus and he invited his community to come and celebrate with him. This was a joyous moment. Levi was so excited he didn't care what people thought. He didn't care about any of that. He just throws a giant party. And that was Levi's first response was to just celebrate the change that was happening in his life. That was it. It was pure and simple. And I think sometimes we complicate sharing the gospel, like, oh, I have to know more or I have to be a professional at it. No, you just have to share and celebrate the life that Jesus has given you. You just have to gather with people. You know, we have people in our lives, in our circles that are doing the same thing year after year after year, and it's not working. And if we have the keys to life, we get to invite them into a party that's greater than they've ever experienced. So who have you invited to be at the table with Jesus? Because not only does Jesus offer life to every outcast, Jesus brings life to every table that he's at. And here's the difference. Uh, Levi was ready to respond to the gospel. He knew he was ready to leave this life behind and just pursue Jesus with everything. And he was ready to repent. 
And when we say the word repent, we probably get the image of a guy with a sandwich board on the sidewalk screaming at us, you know, um, to repent. And we get this angry vibe from the word repent. But what, what the word repent just means is that, that we surrender our will for God's will. We don't get everything perfect, but we submit control of our lives over to God. And we, we hand over our lives to God. We make him our Lord when we repent. And we don't just do this once. Uh, we do this on a regular basement. Uh, basement. <laughs> uh, we do this on a regular basis uh, because our lives are constantly getting out of alignment. Like we're constantly kind of reverting back to the way our friends do things or the way our family does things that, that don't follow the path of God. You know, culture has one set of norms for everything and it, and it contradicts the norms of, of Jesus, of God, of the way of the kingdom. You know, whatever it is, the, the norms around money, giving, sexuality, they're different than what Jesus presents. And so when we chase over here, it's going to create friction and we'll always be pulling, we'll always have the world kind of pulling us back. And so we repent to, to offer again our lives over to Jesus. So while Levi was ready to respond, and he did, his friends had no idea what was going on. They were just really curious. They wanted to know what Jesus was all about. They saw the signs. They heard the stories. They, they saw their friend like make this dramatic step, and maybe they were just doing a wellness check on their friend or something, but they wanted to see uh, what this Jesus was all about. And so they sat at the table with him and Jesus talked with them and I'm sure they asked him questions and, and just had a dialogue. You know, likewise, when we sit down with people, do they sense a new life in us? Is there something in us? Is there Jesus in us that makes us make people curious about the way we're living? Do they sense something different? Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15 to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. People are supposed to see hope in us. People are supposed to see hope in our lives coming off of our face. And that might be really easy to do when you're a young Christian or just got saved like Levi, but man, it feels hard to maintain sometimes. That excitement, that passion, that joy. Why is that? You know, and I think that passion fades if we, if we don't tend to it, if we don't spend time at the table with Jesus daily, that passion fades. You know, we can real easily switch into a work mode where we just do things and that's sort of our spirituality. Instead of, are we reclining at the table with Jesus? Are we just spending time with him? Or are we making time to just be and not just to do? Um, there was a church that Jesus spoke to in the book of Revelation, the church of Ephesus. It was a church that was doing a lot of good things. They were working hard in the community. But um, as you can see, Jesus had something against them. And uh, we'll read this in Revelation 2, verse 3. He says, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. So Jesus is saying, go back to where Matthew was. Go back to where Levi was. Go back to where he was. Just repent. Stop doing and, and start being with me. 
Start, start enjoying my presence. And if you've lost that love, repent. Just, and, and that can just mean confess, agree that you've lost that love, that I may restore it in you. And I think for us, it can be really easy to, to load up our schedules, um, to get trapped in all the different things that we have to do. And sometimes it feels more like um, our schedules are ruling our lives and we don't actually have control over what's going on. And so this is an invitation to break that, to take on an easier yoke with a, with a God who loves you, who wants to spend time with you. And so more than anything, if we want to be effective, if we want people to see Jesus in us, then we have to be with Jesus. We have to spend time with him because that's the greatest ministry you could have is that when people meet you, they see Jesus in you. They see something that they want, God in you. And that's what Jesus says to the church. Go back. Go back to where Levi was. If you've lost your joy, find it again. Go back. Go back to that moment that Levi's in where he's so excited he'll leave everything and go follow. What would it look like to recapture that joy in your lives or capture that joy for the first time? To be all in. Well, let's look at what happens at Levi's table. Here Jesus sits across from the table with this, a group of social outcasts. He's hanging out with all the people that the religious elite have despised and dismissed. And yet we find the Pharisees, all the religious elite, at the scene. Why is that? Well, it's interesting in that culture, um, you could come to a party that you, aren't, you weren't invited to, you just had to stand around the perimeter of the party. <laughs> How weird is that, right? Um, I wouldn't like that, I don't know. I'm like, yeah, we didn't invite you, but I'm really glad you're here. Um, you can stand over there by the coats. Um, you know, that would just be really awkward, but you have, so you have Jesus sitting with the tax collectors, the sinners, the outcasts, and then you have the religious elites standing like uh, servants on the edge of the party. You think they're a little upset? Like, hey, God, we've been, you know, Jesus, we've been serving God faithfully. How, how dare you make a stand on the, on the perimeter and you spend time with all these people who aren't worth a dime in their eyes, right? That's not what Jesus thought. That's not what Jesus thought. You know, you have the, um, you know, you have peop these people with hurt pride, and so they grumble and complain, and they voice this to Jesus, and they say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? These people don't deserve it. We've been doing all these good things since we were kids. Like, what are you doing hanging out with these people? And Jesus' response tells us everything we need to know. He says, those who are well, or think they are well, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus didn't come to make good people feel better about themselves. He didn't come to make good people feel better about themselves. He came to heal people that knew they needed him. He came to heal people that knew they were sick. Jesus came for people who already see themselves as outcasts, as in need of God, as in need of salvation, that knew they needed help, that they were aware that without Jesus, I got nothing. You know, Jesus couldn't do much with a self-righteous person because ultimately they're at the center of their lives. You know, they, they make the rules. Their hearts are hard. They think they're already good because of what's on their resume. 
right? Whatever is on their resume, whether that's spiritual or whether that's causes that, that we're involved in, we all have that tendency to look at our lives and say, well, I'm good. Like, look at my life. I'm great. I'm good. I don't need a savior. And Jesus says, actually, you do. We're all, you're all sick without me, without the help of the physician. And so Jesus is a lot of things. But in this story, Jesus is a healer. And he just healed this paralytic man. He's a physical healer, but here he's a spiritual healer. He's a, he's a complete healer. He heals every part of our lives. And so Jesus chooses to spend time with people that know they need that, that know they need to be healed, that are humble enough to say, I don't have this figured out. And I need you, not just once, but ongoing. Every day, I need you. I think there's a song that's like that, I think. Um, but, but why did he look for these people who were, had nothing on the resume? And it was this. He was looking for good soil. He was looking for good soil. You maybe remember the passage where, you know, Jesus tells the story about the, the sower who goes out to sow and he scatters his seed all around. And there's some seed that falls on the path and in the weeds and, you know, like the worries of the world choke things out. Every, you know, there's all this busyness and, um, you know, but the, the, he's looking for the good soil. He's looking for the soil that's ready to receive and to grow. And I was at a conference one time where there was a pastor named Neil Cole who spoke. And uh, Neil has actually planted hundreds of house churches in Southern California. Um, he's from Long Beach, uh, but he's kind of reached out to the surrounding area. And he, his ministry just thrived among people who had uh, poverty in their background, addiction in their background, prison in their background. Um, he saw guys who were once addicted to hard drugs find Jesus, go around and tell their dealer about Jesus and have the dealer come to know Christ. Um, and as he talked, he was talking about why was this ministry so successful? And he said, or why, why was ministry taking off among people who had so much stuff in their lives? And he said, because there's a lot of manure there. <laughs> there's a lot of manure in their lives. And if you know anything about manure, it makes really, really good soil. And so he said, you know, it sounds harsh, but he's saying these people, they were already ready. Like they had so much stuff. They knew they needed forgiveness. They knew they needed a new life. Like they were ready to receive and so for Levi and his friends, they were wealthy, but they still had a lot of manure in their lives. They had a lot of opportunities for restoration and transformation. And we all have manure in our lives. Just are we honest that we have manure in our lives? But so much that Levi was ready to leave it all behind and follow Jesus. And so I have a couple challenging questions for you this morning. Um, the first is, where do you see yourself in this story? Maybe see yourself in multiple characters in this story. Are, are you at a place like Levi where you're just excited to share your faith? Um, are, do you connect with his friends? Like, are you excited to just spend time at the table with Jesus and get to know him? Um, or, like me, um, do you have tendencies like the religious elite? Maybe you tend to close yourself off to only a select group of people or put people in categories. And maybe we need to repent of that. Maybe we need to repent of that this morning. And the second question is this, and this is the one that I want you to think about, is who does Jesus want at your table? 
Who does Jesus want you to invite into your table? We have neighbors. We have coworkers. We have people maybe in this very room that God is calling us to connect with. To, you know, community is not found, it's made, right? And so who is God calling us to connect with and build relationships with? You know, we're trying to be a church that's present in the life of Blaine, you know, in, in, the, in all the different pockets and areas of our community to be present, to, to get to know people. And obviously the table doesn't have to mean a literal table in your home. It could mean the bleachers at a basketball game. Uh, it could be the coffee shop. It could be, um, you know, going out to lunch with somebody who doesn't have a lot of, um, you know, friends. I don't know what it could be, but um, we all have people in our lives that God is calling us to make space for. And we also have to recognize that we have a limited capacity for relationships. We're not God. Can we admit that this morning? We're not God. We have a limited capacity. So we don't have a time and space to fit everyone in. Um, Somebody really smart compared us all to Legos. Like some people are like the little two by two bricks and they only have like four connectors. Like they can only really connect with four people, right? And then you have people who are like the 15 by 15 grid who can connect with like a million people and a really deep level, right? And I don't know how many connectors you have in your life. Um, Don't feel bad if you have less connectors um, and don't be too proud if you have a ton of connectors. But, um, you know, if we, we can easily max ourselves out. And so my question is, how are you using those connectors that God's given you? Like, who are you investing in? Is there anyone that you're investing in that's far from God? Is there anyone you kind of bring in to your life that, that needs Jesus? Is there a Levi in your life? Someone who's excited to just grow and learn and discover Jesus? Because we need to make space in our lives for, for people to find the healer, Jesus. We need to make space for people to meet the healer. And I know some people might be, well, uh, man, I, my connectors are full, okay? I've got connectors on top of connectors. I'm tired. I've got, you know, m- between work and family and football now. Like, I'm just out of connectors. And you might have to put Russell Wilson aside to make this happen. I'm just saying. Um, but, you know, even if it means adjusting your grid, making space, like we're all called to that. And uh, otherwise, if we don't, if we don't, we've missed our purpose. You know, for years I've been challenged by a verse in Ezekiel that's sort of soul-shaking. And um, just as a fair warning, just this challenge of like, we really need to take our purpose seriously. But when God called Ezekiel to be a prophet in Ezekiel 3.19, he gave them this warning. And he said this, he said to Ezekiel, he said, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give them no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his evil way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I shall require at your hand. I always read that and get a chill, like, oh man. But I thought, at first I thought, yikes, that's a huge burden for Ezekiel, but then I thought, wait a minute, (laughs) wait a minute. Hasn't Jesus given us a similar task as his disciples? Yes, to go to all the world and make disciples of all nations. We're supposed to be in the world, go into the world and make disciples. 
aren't we watchmen of the world? Don't we have a warning for people? Because if we believe that Jesus saves lives, we better share that with people. Like, if we really believe that apart from Jesus, there's death and there's hell, we, we better be willing to share some good news about Jesus with people. Jesus said that he's the physician. He's sent into the world to heal all those, uh, to heal hearts. He wants to reach and to save everyone. In Second in Peter, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He wants everyone at the party. Do we want that? Do we want that too? We have people we can invite to the party. You know, when we invite others to the table, transformation might not happen just like that. It might be a dialogue. It might, it might be a years of friendship. But the table offers people a space where they can know that they're loved by God and belong um, before they make him their king, before they make their decision. Because we believe that Jesus is the healer of the world. And if we believe that, let's take it seriously. Let's, let's be with people. Let's open up space in our lives to be with others. Let's pray. Jesus... Lord, I thank you for this challenge, God, this challenging image of how much you care about people who are far from you. You care about all of us, God. Lord, we, we admit, too, that often we are far from you. And Jesus, if, if we're feeling that this morning, I pray that first you would help us to learn repentance. You'd help us to learn how to turn and follow. Um, that we turn not to a stern, judging cold father, but to a loving, warm father with open arms. Jesus, we, uh, we just pray for that this morning, God. Lord, that you would be, uh, you would just stir that in us, God, so that we, as we invite people to our table, into our lives, as we look for who you would, might call us to, God, that the light of Jesus would shine out of our lives. God, may the light of Jesus shine out of us personally, in our community, in our church, God. May people see it and see an unmistakable Savior that they might know their healer, God. And Lord, if we're here this morning, God, and challenged by this, God, and, and maybe we say, yes, I want that, but I, I need to be healed as well. Jesus, meet us there. Meet us in the place where we need to be healed. Lord, if we're struggling to trust you, God, help us to learn obedience. Help us to learn how to trust you, God, to, to know that when we trust you, God, that you have our best interest in mind. God, that you, you love us and care for us and that when we seek your kingdom first, that everything will be added to us, God. You promised that. So Lord, if we're just having tr trouble surrendering this morning, I pray that you would help us to open our hands and let go. So God, we, we, we pray, Father, for, um, for our lives and our reputation to be known as a community of love that is with people. That in our community, God, that there are no outcasts. There are no one that is too far from you, God. Lord, that, that everybody is included at the table. And as we come this morning, God, to respond at your table, 
at the table you set through your body and your blood, and we receive that, God. We know that we are all equals before you. We know that we are truly forgiven, that there's nothing outside of your sacrifice that could have brought us back into community with you. So we pray that, God, that we would, uh, we would take you in this morning, God, and then extend that out to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.